Give it up one more time for the set shop here, Dale Poor. <laughs> and all the geniuses along with our video ministry with Jason Lynn, Mike Edens, and all that team that works so hard at New Spring. We have some really creative people here. One of the most fun things for me is to come up with these ideas and then to watch all these creative people bring them, come to bring it to life in so many different ways. Well, this is, of course, the first service of the new year, and as we think about New Year's, this is time for new beginnings, and we feel that, even on, a, even on a day where we've had a snowstorm here in Wichita and it's cold outside, we still feel that impetus to do something new, to do something different, to make a new start. And historically, um, attendance records here at New Spring will show that our highest attended month is the month of January, because many people are feeling like it's time to do something new. And I feel that, and I felt that throughout the years. My only problem is with New Year's resolutions or whatever we, we want to call them, whatever that, that feeling is to do something new, is it tends to be tempor temporary. And now at the age of 58, I look back on a lot of those New Year's and what I feel like is reset, reset, reset. I'm always resetting and it's like I never seem to get there. Now, I don't want to rain on anybody's prayer because if you have an idea for a New Year's resolution, I'm pulling for you and I hope it works. And, whether it's losing weight or whatever it is, you know, exercising more, disciplining yourself, stopping smoking, uh, stopping harmful relationships, all those things are good goals. But I, I just want to challenge us to consider something for a moment. Is it possible that we have the idea with these New Year's resolutions and new beginnings, is it possible that we have a flawed idea that goes something like this? I can, I can fix my life with a tweak. See, I think there's that, there's that sense in the human experience that goes something like this. I'm not that far away, I just need some, some kind of tweak, and if I can make this tweak, I'm going to be all right. I spend more time helping leaders today than I've ever spent before, and one of the main lessons I try to teach leaders, and by the way, I'm trying to learn it myself, is that you can't tweak your way to success. We're in the NFL playoffs today. In fact, I was having this discussion with my son Stephen on the way to church today. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? How many NFL teams, if you're an NFL fan, it's amazing how many NFL fan teams have the feeling that all they need to do to get to success is just to tweak their way to success. They need to get this, this particular player out of free agency. But at the end of the day, they get to an, the end of another season and they're right back where they were before. What do successful teams do? They have a plan. They have a successful plan. It may not be sexy, but they stick with that plan and they know it's going to work because it's a successful plan. And, and I just want to take us to that place today because we're not going to be able to tweak our way to success. I'm pulling for your New Year's resolution, but we're not just a tweak away. We're further away than a tweak. This whole series is called Find Your Life, and it's taken directly, as we'll see in just a few moments, from the words of Jesus Christ himself. But what Jesus is going to teach us is that if we are going to find our lives, we're not going to be able to tweak. You know, it's not going to be a fad. It's not going to be a product of an infomercial that's going to get us there. We really do have to have a plan, a plan that works, and in that process, if we discover that plan, we can execute it with full assurance. This is so important that I'm going to do something I rarely do. You know, somebody with ADD has a short attention span, but even though I have a short attention span, this series is so big, we're going to spend eight weeks on finding our lives. Guys, today is just an introduction. I want to warn you before we get there, I'm not really going to take you into a specific life change today. Today, we're just exploring the principle that governs everything else. And so I realize this may not be as exciting as some of the other things that we're going to discover, but it's very, very important for us that we understand the principle that undergirds the plan. Now, let me ask you a question today just to get us started. Have you found your life? 
By that, I mean, don't you sense that you have a destiny, that you were destined to live a great life? And I don't mean by that rich or famous. That's not what I'm talking about because there are a lot of people who are rich and famous who aren't living great lives. But don't you have a sense within you that you were destined for greatness, to make a difference, for your life to have mattered when you get to the end of your life? Don't you have that sense? Have you found it yet? Have you found the life that you were destined to live? Let me be completely honest with you. If I were to answer the question for you, and I'm, I'm guessing that our answers would be similar, so I'm just going to put this on me. If, my, if I were to give you the honest truth, I would say, yeah, I think I've found a lot of it. I've found pieces of it. And beyond that, from time to time, I get into the slipstream of really experiencing life, and it causes me to hunger and to thirst for what it would be like to live every day of my life fully engaged in my, in my destiny. But I'm not there yet. I got pieces of it. I have enough just to keep me searching and looking. But honestly, I'm not sure that I have fully found my life yet. Does anyone else feel that way? I mean, but by asking that question, I'm saying, don't you sense at moments that you were meant for more than the life that you're living? I mean, not that, not that you're doing anything wrong or not that you're failing. It's just, don't you have this under, underlying sense that you were meant for more than you're experiencing right now? Well... Let's ask another question. What do you think it would take to find your life? We're not going to talk about us today. We're going to talk about people outside out there in the snow, okay? But I think there are a lot of people out in the world that have this sense that if they just did this, if they just, they just had this one thing, they would discover their lives. There's something in between them and finding their lives. So if they had this one thing, they would be okay. For instance, I've met people, especially people in their 30s and 40s, I've met people who had this idea. If I could go back to college again and pay attention... If I could go back to college again and take it seriously, especially if, like, I went straight off high school into college. And, and if you're like that, you know, you're just trying to figure out how to, how to pay for college and, and, you know, get through college and get that degree. But some of you are saying, you know what, if I could go back to college this time and not be so worried about getting a degree, but worry about learning what I need to learn to get ahead, you know, I'd like to go back and maybe, maybe do something in college that would actually lead to a career. I'd like to go back and talk to the counselor and say something different than I've always been interested in underwater basket weaving uh, and try something like engineering, you know, or business. If I could go back to college and pay attention, I could find my life. Or it could be something close to that. Somebody could say, Mark, if I could change career fields, my career field is not rewarding, but if I could change career fields, I would find my life. Others are here today, and let's, let's just be honest. Because the culture that we live in sort of sexualizes everything. And it could be that somebody's saying here, Mark, you know what? Um, if I could just find somebody who would do with me the things I fantasize about, I would find my life. I don't know that anybody would say that out loud, but I think there are a lot of people out there that sort of feel that way. Or I was behind a couple of guys at Quick Trip. I knew what they were thinking because they kept plunking down plastic buying paper. That sounded like a bad idea to me, but they just kept buying lottery tickets. There must be some big payoff around it. I, don't, I, I never know what's going on. But these guys just kept buying lottery tickets. I mean, they look like hardworking guys. My heart went out to them. I thought, you probably worked hard for that money. And yet they're buying lottery paper. But the idea is if I could just win the lottery, I could buy all the things that would give me a life. I would find my life. Or there are those that might say, if I just had different people in my life. I need people, but just not the people I have. But the mark, the reason I can't find my life is, is because of the guy sitting next to me. He's sitting on my life. <laughs> 
I, you know, I just I can't find a life because I've got the wrong guy or I've got the wrong gal or I've got the wrong parents or I've got the wrong kids. If I just had different people in my life, I would be okay. I could find myself. And y'all, most of y'all are way too young to know what I'm talking about, but I'm guessing we have a few baby boomers in the room today. So let me just talk about us for a moment as a generation. For all of you who are younger or older than the baby boom, I realize we are the most annoying generation in history. And that is because there are so many of us. See, what happened was our dads came home from the war, and they made families, and there were just a bunch of us. We are born between the years 1946 and 1964. That's called the baby boom. Sociologists call us the pig and the python because wherever we are in life, there's just a bunch of us. <laughs> now, you got to understand something. For all of you who like have parents or grandparents who are baby boomers, this will help you understand our craziness, okay? There was an expression that was very big when I was young in the baby boom, and that expression was, we need to find ourselves. We would talk about that all the time. We need to find ourselves. Have you found, are you find, you know, we, we just need to get out and find ourselves. And there was, an under, there was an underlying premise behind this sense, this quest to find ourselves, and it went something like this. We in the baby boom felt like those in the great generation had sold their souls in order to acquire things. See, what happened was the great generation came out of the Depression and World War II, and they said, we're going to work very hard. We're going to save our money. We're going to be a success in life, and our kids are going to have it better than we had it. And we grew up the kids who had it better than our parents had it. The only deal is we look back at our parents, and we thought, you know what? Our parents sold their souls in an attempt to... To, to have a, life, a better life, they worked so hard, they did all the things, they did it all for money. That's what our thinking was. So we said, we're not going to let that happen to us. We are going to find ourselves. Hence the 60s. You know what we did in order to find ourselves? We got stunned, we put flowers in our hair, and danced around in the park, and had free love. That's what we did to find ourselves. And when that didn't work, you know what we did? We became yuppies, and we bought the BMWs and moved to the burbs and sold our souls for the same things we claimed our parents had sold their souls for. All I'm trying to say this thing about finding yourself is trickier than it sounds. It's a tricky thing. How would you find yourself? How would you find your life? If you were going to look for your life, how would you find it? I have a new Toyota. And um, it's just filled with technology, and it just stares at me. I get in the car, you know, I push the button, all these lights go off, and the buttons just sort of like lure me in, you know, like the siren song. And I don't, I'm technologically challenged. And, 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 and my deal is this. I just feel like, and this is an old expression, but I mean, we used to say this in Texas. I used to figure that the key is, if I can't figure it out, just fiddle with it. And so the other day, I was driving, and I hadn't had the car for just a few days, and I didn't like particularly where the cursor was on the GPS system. You know, when you're, when you're obsessive-compulsive, stuff like that really just becomes huge issues. I just didn't like where the cursor was. I wanted the cursor to be in a different place. So I started pushing buttons. It wasn't long before I not only lost the cursor, I lost the GPS. I mean, monitor screens came up. I had no idea what it was about. How many of us are making it up as we go? We're pushing buttons. We'll figure it out. Something good will happen if I just keep pushing buttons. You say, well, especially every, everybody 
of the feminine gender is looking at me saying, Mark, if you would just read the manufacturer's manual, you would know how to operate your GPS. You're right. And guys, let me tell you, it doesn't, it doesn't work in life. You're not going to find your life just keeping pushing buttons until you find something that works. Go back to the manufacturer. What does our manufacturer have to say about finding our lives? I want to take you now to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. And this is, the, this is the verse I was reading in my devotions months ago when I got the idea for this series. Read it with me, please. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, look, could we just take a time out for a moment? American Christianity is confused over something. Jesus had two commands for you and me or to anyone else. One command is how you, how you go to heaven. The second command is how you have a life worth living. And sometimes those get confused. And when pe people read the command that Jesus gave us to have a life worth living as this is what you have to do to go to heaven, then it really gets all balled up. So let's just clarify this for a moment. Jesus said two things. He said, believe me and follow me. Believing on Jesus is how you go to heaven. That's a gift. It won't cost you anything. Okay, the moment you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you believe on him. You don't do a thing in the world to go to heaven. God wants that to be your gift at the very beginning. But in order to have a life worth living, Jesus says, follow me. In order to get to heaven, it's believe on me. In order to have a life worth living, Jesus is saying, follow me. Now, following Jesus can get very expensive, but it's assisted. He'll help you. And beyond that, in the process you will have a life worth living. Now, let's go back to our scripture one more time. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will, here's our verse, find it. Jesus is saying this is how to find your life. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the next few moments, in order for us to understand how to find our life, we're going to take those statements apart, and we're going to look at some of them piece by piece and so, so that we can fully understand what it means or how we can find our life. Now, let me tell you why I'm taking the time to do something that's going to be a little challenging today. Everything Jesus is going to tell us is counterintuitive. In other words, when Jesus talks to us about how to find our life, it's going to feel wrong. That's the scary thing, because see, here's the thing. It could mean that in our pursuit to find life on our terms, we can think we're right. And yet everything Jesus is going to tell us is counterintuitive. Because of that, I want us to have full understanding, and then we'll go home. First of all, Jesus said, you can find your life. What does the word find mean? When I was a student in Greek years ago in college, one of my favorite words was the Greek word for find. Herisko. We get our word eureka from it. It's, it's a word that a scientist says when she or he makes a discovery. It's, it's a word we, we, make, we say when something's clear to us. In fact, Wikipedia talks about the, the Eureka effect. It, it refers to that common human experience of suddenly understanding a previously incomprehensible problem or concept. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus said, whoever does what he talks about there will suddenly be able to make sense of life. Mary Alice and I have chuckled throughout the years. I think it was our son, Jared. When he was real small one day, he was he probably was four or five years old. He was, he was being punished for something. And he just looked at us and said, I don't understand life. And we're also not laughed about that through the years because she and I would say the same thing. 
We just don't understand life. But Jesus is saying the person who does, we'll talk about what he talked about in a moment, the person who does this will be able to make sense out of life. What was previously incomprehensible won't be incomprehensible anymore. He will eureka it. He will find life. So there we are. If I want to find my life, here are my options. I can blindly punch buttons hoping something good will happen, or I can go back to Jesus and listen to what he has to say. Now, let's tighten our focus a little bit, and let's look on two lines. Look at two lines from the scripture we just talked about. Matthew 16, 25. Whoever wants to save, to find that word save, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Let me tell you what I thought wrong when I was growing up and I used to read this verse. When Jesus talked about losing life, I, I thought he was talking about dying because that's what we usually talk about when we talk about losing life. Not at all what Jesus is saying. Here's what he's saying. Whoever wants to save, the word save means to protect or to guard. Whoever wants to protect his life, the word lose means ruin or mar. Whoever tries to hold on to life, protect life, will lose it. But Jesus said, whoever is willing to mar his life or her life for my sake will find it. And by the way, you know what? If we'll think about it pretty carefully, that's really true. It's, tr it's, been, it's been true in our lives all along. Even if you're not a God follower, it's still true. What's one of the first sentences that you and I learn to say or our kids learn to say? It's mine. It's my toy. It's my room. It's my time. It's my space. It's my feelings. It's my turf. It's mine. It belongs to me. I'm going to protect it. Well, what happens when we try to protect things? Don't we usually lose it? You know what happens? If, if where you work, you're always protecting your turf, it isn't going to be long before they won't let you have any turf anymore. They're going to say, you're such a pain in the, in the neck that we're not going to let you have turf anymore. Or if you're always trying to protect your feelings, isn't it strange how that we lose relationships in the process? So Jesus is just simply saying that. He, he's, it's, he's not trying to be in our face. He's just simply saying, if you try to protect your life, you will mar it. But he's saying if you're willing to mar your life or to use your life or to, in effect, use up your life for his sake, Jesus is saying we will find it. Let me give you an example of this. Um, say, for instance, this morning I decided I like this orange so much I'm just going to keep it this way forever. I'm, I'm never going to let anything happen to this orange. Nothing's ever going to mar it. It's going to stay just as it is. Now, this is more than you want to know, but I've got to tell you this. If I made that decision, it wouldn't be long before this orange would become very dangerous to me. I'm deathly allergic to fruit mold. I am. I can walk into Dillon's, and if I get the scent from citrus fruit or fruit mold, if I stay there very long, I'll get a serious headache. If I stay there much longer, I'll get very sick. So here's the thing. If I decide I was going to let this orange stay this way, it wouldn't be long before it would become dangerous to me. It would never live out its destiny. But if, on the other hand, I took out a knife, which I often do with oranges, and I cut it, then all of a sudden, you know, the problem is I've marred it, but now it can live out its destiny. I can squeeze it. It can become juice that has nutrients and vitamin C in it. I can eat it in sections. It suddenly becomes useful to me. 
And this is simply all that Jesus is saying. He is saying, look, if you decide that you're not going to mar your life, that you're going to protect it, you'll lose it, you'll waste it. But Jesus is saying, if you're willing to mar it for my sake, for Christ's sake, well, one more time, let's read it in Matthew 16, 25. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. That is amazing. Jesus is saying, if you're willing to use up your life for him, you will discover it. You'll, you'll know what you were meant to do. I'll give you a simple illustration. Maybe this is too simple, but it helps me. Suppose, suppose somebody would come to you and say, and I know this is hypothetical, but just work with me. Suppose somebody came to you and said, tomorrow you're going to move to the French Riviera. We have a villa picked out for you. It's going to belong to you. You're going to have Royals Rosses and Bentleys. You have anything you want. We're fully funding everything. Your bank, your bank accounts are going to be filled. You're never going to need money. You're going to have this beautiful villa overlooking the water. For the rest of your life, you're going to live on the French Riviera with anybody that you love. And that all takes place tomorrow. But you've got one more day in Wichita. Now, here's the thing for the day in Wichita. You've got $50,000. You can't, you can't take it with you. You can't take a penny of it with you. You have one day to use up $50,000 in Wichita. Let me ask you a question. Would you buy stuff for yourself? Why? It would make no sense, would it? You can't take it with you. You know what you would do with that $50,000? You got people that you love here. You got people who have needs here. You would spend this 24 hours doing everything you could to advantage the people here for whom that $50,000 could actually be useful. You would want to make a difference here before you left. That makes all the sense in the world to every one of us. And yet, on the other hand, the Bible tells us that we're only going to live in this life for just a few years. 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 100 years at most. And then we're going to heaven where we're going to live out with God, our destiny that we were always, you know, given to live. And yet, here we are. We're so careful to hold on to the things of this world. We want to make sure that this life doesn't get marred. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand. If you try to protect it, if you try to hold on to it, you'll do the things that destroy it. And yet, he said, on the other hand, if you're willing to use up, if you're willing to squeeze the orange, if you're willing to squeeze your life for his sake, Jesus said, you'll actually discover the reason why you were made. Well, those illustrations may be a little existential for you. But I can tell you what happened to me personally. I, I grew up in Fort Worth. We, all the high schools in Fort Worth were really large in those days. It was like I said, it was the baby boom. High school I went to had only 4,000 students. And I remember when I was a junior in high school, American history was a junior course, and a lot of the American history teachers would congregate together in the hallway. And I'm sure they like teachers today. They, all, they like to talk about who they were teaching that might go on to do great things. And they would kid me because they would tell me they would discuss me. And, and they knew I all knew I wanted to be a lawyer. And so they would joke about what I was going to be someday. And they would say, well, I think Mark is going to do this. I think Mark is going to do that. But, my, but one American history teacher that I had a lot of affection for, he always, he always said I was going to be a Supreme Court justice. In his mind, he was teaching a future Supreme Court justice. I don't know why he said that, but he just had that feeling. And he even wrote it in one of my yearbooks. I remember one day, not long after I committed my life to preach the gospel, I went into class and I told him about it. I told him, I said, I believe I'm gonna, God is calling me to be a pastor and I'm going to do what I'm doing right here. You know what he said? He said, Mark, what a shame. That's sad to hear. You could have been somebody really important. He's just saying what the world thinks. 
I mean, it wasn't politically correct then. I guess it's not politically correct now, but he's just saying what people think. There is this feeling, I'm going to hold on to my life. I'm going to hold on to my space. I'm going to hold on to my money. I'm going to hold on to my territory. I'm going to keep it protected. I'm going to keep it sacrosanct. I am going to have my life protected. And yet in the process, we do the very things that destroy it, where Jesus is saying, on the other hand, if you're willing to mar it, if you're willing to use it up, realizing that it's only temporary, Jesus is saying you'll discover it. You know what's on the inside of this orange? A seed. You know why that seed is there? God wants me to remember there are lots more oranges out there. And the reason why God wants you to use up your life for him, he just wants you to know he has an endless repository of life. That whether you live 30 years or 100 years, God has got plenty more life where that came from and beyond that life with him. I'm just telling you, if you want to find your life, you have to be willing to mar it. You have to be willing to cut it. You have to be willing to squeeze it. You have to be willing to use it for him. But in the process, you'll find it. This and I'm through. I get the feeling Jesus said this all the time. Are the things that you just say all the time, and isn't it interesting if you say them all, if you say something all the time, if you have a message that you just say to everybody, every once in a while you'll just change a word here and there. Several years ago, it's been a long time ago, our staff was in staff meeting. They decided, I think they were just joking with me, but they decided they were going to do a shirt for the bookstore with Hooverisms on it. You know, just those quirky things that I say all the time, like this is the biggest series I've ever been part of. But it, I'm glad they didn't do that. But I, I do say things, certain things all the time, and every once in a while I'll just change a word here and there. I don't intend to. It's just, just a similar word. And I get the feeling that just about every time Jesus talked, he talked about this. Why would he say this? Why would he talk about it all the time? Because it's how to find your life. And so consequently, he probably said this all the time. Well, in Matthew's gospel, he said, whoever is willing to lose his life, whoever's willing to mar his life or her life will find it. I want you to listen to a statement Jesus made in Luke's gospel. He said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Okay, we're word for word so far. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. A little different. Last time he said, find it. Now he's saying, you'll bank it. A lot of you guys are too young to learn this or to know it yet. Some of you are old enough to know it. Life goes quick. You know, I know if you're, if you're under 30, I'm sure you're tired of hearing everybody say that. It does, though. Life goes quick. And it gets away from you. And you wake up one day and you think, I don't know how much life I have left. Guys, if we would just hear Jesus, he's saying, look, if you're willing to squeeze the orange for Jesus, he is saying, not only will you find your life and know the life that you were destined to lead, but beyond that, you will have found a way to protect it because Jesus is saying, I can give you more. He said, I came to give you life and give it to the full, to the max. You will protect your life. Well, that's it. I'm going to invite you for the next seven weeks to go on a trip with me. I need it. I think we all need it. I, I, I know we all need it. You know what we're going to do on this trip? We're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to learn to follow him. We're going to look at things that Jesus did because he said, if you want to discover life, follow Jesus. And so we're going to learn week by week by week for the next seven weeks. We're going to look at extraordinary things that Jesus did. And we're going to learn to follow him. And in the process, 
we're going to learn to live different lives. And seven weeks from now, we will not be the same people that we are right now today. It's not a matter of a New Year's resolution. It's putting a plan into process that works, a plan that was invented by the Son of God himself, and it never fails. I am asking you to join me for seven weeks on a journey to follow Jesus. Are you ready to do that? Are you willing to do that? We'll get started next weekend. But here is the process. Remember this. If you try to hold on to it, you'll lose it. If you're willing to mar it and squeeze it, you'll find it, and you'll save it. You'll bank it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be here today on this cold day. But you've brought us out. Thank you for these wonderful people, Lord, that have risked the bad weather and the roads to hear your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will bring special blessing in their lives and those in the lives of the other five service, other four services. Lord, we want to follow you. We truly do. We don't want to just push buttons, hope something good will happen. We really do want to put your plan into place. So help us, Father. I pray that you'll direct us. And, and Lord, if we have that selfishness that's unwilling to squeeze the orange, I pray that you'll help us to see that today. Help us to understand that if we keep demanding our space, our territory, our money, our possessions, our props, all we're going to do is screw up our lives. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next weekend.